Koi's R Us Podcast, episode three. We're back. We are back after a loss this time, unfortunately. Uh, but we're still back. We haven't we haven't canceled the podcast just yet. Um, I guess we should just get right into it right off the bat. Um, we were top of the triangle last week, um, coming off of four wins. And, you know, eventually it was going to catch up to us. We weren't going to win out for the rest of the season. So that's the way I've been framing this in my head. We were going to have to lose a match eventually. And uh, that loss came on Saturday. Um, lost it home to Brighton, nil to one. Uh, thoughts on the game Saturday? Any takeaways? Any, I mean, this is a pretty boring match, so I don't know. <laughs> what you guys thought about it right. Ben? yeah i, I thought mean, that the bird gang was gonna keep it rolling for us but they obviously uh they were keeping it rolling for themselves these flocks don't fly together seagulls <laughs> and cocks are not uh, of the same feather yeah i would say it is uh i think it's got to be the most boring match at least of the conte era right it, it definitely reminded me much more of nuno and dare i say jose um yeah i, I would say you know, I'd, for the Tottenham triangle, I probably slid back a little bit, back down. But the other results did help us a bunch, other than United on the weekend. Uh, but United today, Arsenal on the weekend, things still went our way. It, it really sucks that we didn't get to, uh, you know, take advantage of that, get make up some more ground or, you know, build a bigger cushion, I should say. Um, it's disappointing, but... You know, like I said, other results went our way. Uh, Conte at least didn't throw a conniption fit. You know, he didn't throw his toys out of the pram, as they, they like to say. Uh, he, nice. he was a, a lot more even keeled, it seemed like. He was disappointed. I agreed that, you know, it's a real uh, sucker punch to then give up that last-minute goal, obviously, after such a boring game. It was probably deserved a nil-nil score in the end. Um, it happens, you know. I, I wouldn't exactly call it a smash and grab because I think they probably – they edged us slightly, even, you know, playing at yeah. Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. So definitely disappointing. My, my biggest disappointment, I would say, I mean, really the front three, other Sun was the best of those three. My biggest disappointment, disappointment uh, probably because he's been my, one of my biggest um, uh, happiness points, I guess I would say for the past few weeks is Kulisewski because he was just non-existent. Could have gotten sent off for a red in the first half. I don't remember him having almost any involvement. And then he just, disappeared and I think he was the first sub right so uh disappointed but try not to let it get me down too much just uh move on to next week we'll say yeah I, I'd agree with what everyone said wasn't very interesting um was hard to keep our attention um I will say one player for Brighton that played very well was Masuma in the middle of the park the way he was marking Harry Crane he pretty much like marked him out of the game and I think that's what we in the past few weeks when we couldn't figure something out, we'd get something to Kane and he'd make something happen. And they just kind of like took him out the game. And to me, that was the the real difference. And then when Kane's not doing what he can do, and then you have, like you say, Kulisevsky, um, just really didn't have it. And this is a match where you maybe pull him. I mean, they pulled him kind of early, but to me, they put on the wrong player. Um, I would have probably put on Stevie B as opposed to Lucas um, to start as I probably would in every single match um, that we've had so far. But um, I thought they were crying out for Session on early too, because Reggie was doing nothing. 
and Sessions back. He's he looked a lot better. I was a little disappointed in the subs. Now that you bring up, I think that's a really good point. I don't think the subs were great. Um, I feel like he's gotten into a, uh, a an automated version of making his subs too. It's always you know the same Lucas and you know uh, well this time Winks and then Bergwine with two minutes. Let's give that guy a little bit of time to do something if you're going to make him a sub. Like I said, I, I agree 100. Stevie should have been the first sub, if not him and Sessions. Throwing Lucas on there, I don't know. We, we hoped his pace would change things at the end of games, but uh, he doesn't seem to be an impact sub because he just he can't spread the ball around. You know, he it's it, he's an all or nothing player. So sorry to interrupt, but I, I agree with your point there. Yeah, I think Stevie B not only that, but like had had scored um, a couple goals uh, on international duty as well. Um, so had a hot foot. And obviously, as we've seen him, obviously, chiefly in the Leicester game, but it was five or six games ago he came on and scored a goal that was caught offside. Um, so, obviously, that's, you know, small margins, that kind of thing. And, and he missed his one chance in this game. But it, there is still, like, the, the Stevie miracle that we saw at Leicester. Seems like he's the only one that can, that can make something happen when we need it late. Um, and it's not like he's not fit enough to play 15 minutes if you can play five you can play 15 or 20 especially in the form he was in that would have also like everybody else would have been the nice uh, nice first sub to see as joel said i think in the chat this week nothing seems broken definitely yeah. a boring game um the birds hadn't been playing well the seagulls but they you know sometimes that maybe there's a little bit of complacency they play um, well in north london yeah I mean, yeah, I don't think anything's broken. It did just feel like a game where nobody really had anything. Um, I can't think of any player that looked particularly good. Um, to your point, like Conte does seem like if it's working, I'm going to keep doing it. We won four games. So then he was just like, well, this is the way we're doing things. And I'm going to make the same subs and I'm going to keep the same system. I mean, frankly, you know, Ben talked about it probably should have been a draw. And I felt like Brighton deserved to win the game. Honestly, like I feel like Conte got out coached on Saturday. Um, they put an extra player in midfield and we didn't have an option. Like we didn't have like a, an adjustment. We didn't have, it was just like, Oh, we don't have, we don't have enough guys in the midfield. Let's just keep trying and, and hope that it breaks through. But like, I did feel like they probably deserved to win because they looked better than us for most of the game. Um, I mean, with that said, it's a loss. I do think, you know, they know what's at stake. Um, I don't think Conte is going to let them forget it. Uh, Hugo made some quotes after the game about, you know, if if you're not going to if you're not going to win, make sure you don't lose. And, you know, that I think is the idea there that if we had at least gotten a point, then that would have been better than the loss. But, you know, I, I can't even say I was upset. I was a little disappointed. But I was mostly just bored. I mean, and, and the other thing about it is like watching these matches in the States, you have to remember, you know, a 1230 kickoff in the UK is 730 Eastern time, 630 Chicago time um, central. So like I was kind of falling asleep from half the match, um, partially because I was tired and partially because nothing was happening. And then the other day, I actually tried to, like, watch the first half again, and I found myself getting distracted. I'm, like, looking at my phone. I'm doing all this other stuff. I'm like, oh, like, I can't even rewatch this game because it's just so boring. 
So I don't think we can play that way. I don't think we're going to see that type of game this Saturday when we play Brentford. Um, but then again, I didn't think we were going to see that type of game against Brighton. So who knows? Um, that said, Kim, where are we on the triangle now? Because uh, last last week, everybody was uh, starting to believe again. And so are we still up there? Have we taken a slide? I mean, I do like some of some of what I thought last week. Not to say that it was like my little balloon was punctured, but to see such a lackluster effort just was it was disappointing. And so I wouldn't say like I'm at the top of the triangle that I'm getting my hopes up, but I'm like I'm still there in the middle somewhere between I'm starting to believe again and I'm getting my hopes up because one bad result does not make a season or break a season. So we just have to pick ourselves up, move on, play better and honestly just move the ball faster next week. And we should be a little better because that was part of it is we were very pedestrian on the ball. People were not, not, they were making runs, but not making runs. And the biggest thing to me was people were making runs and Dyer was just overhitting them consistently. If you like watch the game, I watched the game back. Most of the first half was just Dyer overhitting people or underhitting people on their runs. And so it was like, when you can't get the ball into the people who would do something with it, and you can't get it through the midfield because, like you said, they put an extra body in there. You don't really get anything. And that's kind of what happened in this match. I'm sorry. I was going to say, Kim, I am impressed at your ability to uh, – to, I, I was bored to the point of not being able to analyze the game and definitely not being able to go back and watch anymore. I was having a hard time <laughs> – identifying what the issue was like what were they what 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 formation were they playing were we outmanned in the midfield was it a pressing issue it felt like we could not hold on to the ball um just couldn't progress it and then when we did it felt like our forwards were immediately turning it over like nobody could take a, a pass under control cleanly including Kane who normally that's his strength and Kulisevsky you know like both those guys it just seemed like nobody could uh I don't know. It was just like everything was going wrong. I can't I can't think of anybody that played even I mean, maybe Hoybier played OK. Uh, Loris didn't really play poorly, but he didn't have much to do except for, you know, letting a late goal, which was not his fault. Um, I don't know, man. It's like I said, it's it, it, these things happen. So you don't want to get too depressed. Um, but man, it was a it was a very lackluster, I guess, just very few things to say, hey, we did this well or you know this was unlucky or anything else um yeah well, well i think you wait until you know this weekend and we see if it's an outlier or if it's a trend um it's tough to tell because they look so different than they looked in the past few matches i mean even our last loss was united 3-2 ronaldo has a hat trick and we didn't look particularly bad in that match either i think we just you know, we just got Ronaldo. Um, I mean, there have been a few this teams like this year that have just gotten Ronaldo. <laughs> yeah, well, th th this uh, yeah. is more like that Southampton game back in was that February. Yeah, I feel like it reminded me slightly more of that. Um, they just played better than us overall. I think Southampton played even it was even a step above that. But yeah, I, I agree that it's it wasn't um, it wasn't the same thing as it has been for the past two months basically now it, it just there was no energy no fluidity no you know it, the the tempo was off the tempo was too slow I think Kim said that but it was just yeah we weren't we weren't piecing things together quickly enough to make Brighton have to react to anything um yeah 
Yeah, I think just generally slow. And I think if this is this is uh, obviously optimistic, Jesse chiming in, but I think this is a nice kind of example. If we end up finishing top four, if it ends up not mattering, um, where Conte then can point to, hey, look, if if the front three aren't clicking, if the midfield's not clicking, I don't have anybody on the bench that can really change the game. It's you know, we Stevie's not going to score as much as I as I like it. He's not going to be able to score. You give him five minutes, you know, every time we need a goal. So it's like almost a nice loss again if things work out in the end that we can point back to and say hey look the front the, the the first choice 11 strong but if they have an off day which they will we need rotation um another attacking option another attacking mid those kind of things maybe erickson maybe that's just a rumor this week because we're playing brentford but i think it's an it's almost like a potentially a positive loss less positive than the than the early season united loss that brought us conte but something that you could point to in the offseason and say, hey, look, when the top three, when everybody's humming, great, but there still needs to be, um, you know, uh, some some investment made because if Spurs would have rattled off, you know, 13 or 14 or something to the end of the season, then Levy's going to be like, oh, no, we're good. We don't need to do anything when, when we clearly do because we're not, you know, we're not at that level of those top three teams. So you're saying you weren't expecting Harry Winks to change the game when he came on? Is that? <laughs> it was but- just like. What are we doing? That just shows how little we actually do have in midfield. That right now, Winks is the third midfielder. If if um you know if Skippy was healthy, he he'd be the person that would have come in, or he might have started over one of these two. Um, but you when you look at it, we don't really have any central midfielders that you trust. Winks is the only one, and then we have Harvey White, which he's not really played any Premier League time. So when we let three of our central midfielders leave, this is the kind of thing that can happen, and you got to kind of live with the results because they rattled off what a bunch in a row and they might pick themselves up again and rattle off a bunch in a row. So you sometimes you just got to live with that. Um, and it's not like we're going for the title. So these, you know, those three points might not matter as much as it would if, if city or Liverpool lost. So you just have to take a little solace in that. And the teams around us also just are not consistent either. So we, yep. it's That's that the thing name of the that game for the top four, right? No <laughs> consistency. No well, we are we are not going for the title, but we are going for the top four. Um, we have six games left, three at home, three away. Next match, as we said, is away to Brentford, followed by a home game against Leicester City. Our top four competition um, between our previous game and our next game will have played three matches. Um, United got completely battered by Liverpool today. So that's one of them down. Um, Arsenal has to play away to Chelsea tomorrow. And then before our match on Saturday, um, Arsenal and United will play each other. So we will see what the picture looks like um, before we play Brentford, because there's an opportunity for both teams to pick up points. They'll at least be able to pick up one. (laughs) Um, assuming they both lose their matches and then draw with each other, which would be the perfect result for us. Um, but even with that in mind, we'd still need to beat Brentford on Saturday. So that's enough about Saturday's match. I don't think we need to ever talk about that again. Um, what we did want to talk about today was a little bit about, you know, following the Premier League through Spurs, but then also just being able to watch um, other matches as well and getting kind of ingratiated into the Premier League and by proxy British culture. Um, I know, Ben, you've been following the team longer than any of us. Um, what has kind of been your transition from like watching American sports to watching this new sport 
that's played in a different continent? Yeah, so I think what really got me thought about thinking about this topic in the first place was obviously the U.S. has always had a fairly unique relationship with uh, with Britain, with England in particular. And, it, you know, it, it's gone, obviously, we'll, <laughs> we can skip all the actual old history, but there's been a lot of export of English history going back, or uh, sorry, English culture, rather, going back to uh, the Beatles, you know. Uh, obviously, tons of their television has always made it over here. As soccer has gotten more and more impactful over here, um, and most Americans are going to kind of naturally um, you know, go towards an English speaking league. I just think that, that this is a new uh, route of export for English culture. And it's kind of unique because of all the, the sports, uh, well, terminology is one of my favorite parts of it. I would say like, how, what, what percentage of sports terminology can you sub a word for a word in American versus English uh, culture, you know, from pitch to, you know, field to match to game to training room to locker room to, I mean, there's a million of these things. Uh, I know that we've gone back and forth on our, our uh, you know, chats before about this because it's just it's funny. The English football for the longest time was the working men's league, right? Until the Premier League, basically. It used to be much more. I mean, while they still they started making money in the, you know, I guess, late 80s, early 90s, or maybe even before that. I, I don't know the specific history. Um, if you listen to and read English people listen their podcasts or their articles that they'll write about the way things used to be compared to now um, and how much they feel like their culture's been kind of eked out of it and some to some degree almost with like an, an American capitalist culture coming in instead right where we have franchises that move to different cities like everybody bitches about Woolwich right like they move from South London to North London they're not a true North London team whereas we have you know teams moving from city to city in the middle of the night because their owners, rich owners, just sell them out because the team won't, or sorry, the city won't build them a new stadium. It's, it's interesting just to, to see how ingrained English football culture is into the localities of it, into, the, into how everybody grows up with their local teams. It's not nearly as much of a um, athlete-driven sport. It's a very team, like they hear they call it rooting for laundry, you know? It's it's you. It's very community oriented. Yeah, I think a couple of things that you said then that made me think of uh, is one. There's a really really great book that I read a couple of years ago. Um, it's called The Club, and it's by jo Joshua Robinson and Jonathan Clegg. Um, subtitle is How the English Premier League Became the Wildest, Richest, and Most Disruptive Force in Sports, and it kind of chronicles the history of the the pre Premier League. Um, top level football um, that you know you hear these kind of stories of, but then really the Premier League is only 30 maybe years old or something. And so um, that is just like a fascinating thing on how it's not necessarily been influenced by directly by American investment. Obviously, in some cases, you do have American um, investors or, or owners and those kind of things. But a lot of that sort of stuff, obviously not the as much threatening to move stadiums and, you know, Spurs aren't going to move from London to, to Manchester to get well, a new they stadium. Almost they all remember there was a lot of uproar when they almost moved down to central London, right? Where West Ham yeah. is now playing. I, I remember that being a huge thing. I think that might've been one of my first introductions to like how like that. And again, the, the, where Arsenal came from of just that to them moving a few miles in the city is a huge deal. Whereas here right. we'll move from Indianapolis to Baltimore or from Los Angeles to St. Louis and back again. I mean, it, to me, it's bizarre that I like their version of it better. I would say. Yeah. I mean, even, even within the same city, like, 
the difference between um, like uh, most recently uh, Detroit, the Pistons moved from Auburn Hills, deep suburbs to the to downtown. Like even a move like that, that's still you're in the you're to the G Detroit Pistons, but it's ten miles, fifteen miles is significantly like that'd be insane if a London club um, or even any other clubs you know moved moved that far. And I think you know like I was at White Hart Lane the last season, and where you know half the stadium was being surrounded by with you know the the new stadium. And I think the community aspect you think of it, and there are definitely um, uh, professional sports teams um, in uh america that have like that you know the the cubs come to mind that are basically in a neighborhood but um you know uh, white heart lane's the only um premier league or, or european stadium that i've been to a game at but just seeing other games like craven cottage and, and liverpool and they, so many of these things are like literally built in a neighborhoods um where that's not necessarily the case um you know like uh Madison Square Garden isn't, you know, a, a, a neighborhood in the sense that some of these other places are across the Premier League. And I think that just changes the way and makes it a lot more laundry community focused rather than just following, you know, following the stars, which is what a lot of American sports has gotten into. Yeah, I think at this point, too, like American sports is particularly thinking about like the NBA, which is obviously, you know, five on five. It's way more individual focused. I mean, kids nowadays, they don't even have favorite teams. They just have favorite players. And so, you know, if I'm a Steph Curry fan or if I'm a Kevin Durant fan or if I'm a Kyrie Irving fan, I'm just going to root for whatever team they're on at, at this particular year. And it's not necessarily the same thing as like, oh, I'm from here. And so this is my club and this is my neighborhood. I mean, I can remember um, the last time I visited um, the UK to go watch Spurs and um I went and watched a bunch of uh, championship matches in London because I was there and uh, we went to go see QPR and like that stadium is literally in the middle of a neighborhood. Like I've, I don't think I've really seen anything like that in the States because, you know, a lot of times if you're going to a football stadium or, you know, you're going to a basketball arena, it's going to be somewhere downtown. It's going to be in a more commercial part of town, but like, it's literally, you're like walking down the street, you see in a bunch of houses and apartments and then there's just like this football stadium just like right there in the middle of the block. Um, and so like, I think there is some difference there in terms of how they view the club. Um, but even that, like, uh, you know, we were having the conversation earlier with uh, some of my other friends who also watch football and like talking about the whole Holland going to city thing. And it's like, well, you know, the more, commercial these uh these leagues are becoming um it is sort of getting monopolized more so to the point where it is almost getting americanized in a certain sense um it's a little different obviously like you're not having the same um issues in terms of like there's no salary cap obviously um but i do think that with the big infusion of tv money um some of the quote-unquote purity of the game is kind of going away because it does feel like trophies can basically just get bought to the highest bidder um and then even teams that have like you know some local club that's in league two you know yeah that's my team but most of them are also going to have a premier league team that they follow because i also want to see really high level football 
And as much as we praise the pyramid and everybody has a chance in the FA Cup and things like that, like I think some of that is being lost in a sense um, by all of the money that's coming in. And I know that's a kind of a separate topic altogether, but um, I do think that that does like kind of have an effect on the way the league is developing compared to where it may have started in terms of English soccer or English football, rather. Yeah. So I guess in, um, in my head, uh, part of the reason that I think like they just have so much, uh, history steeped in the game that we just don't have, um, like a lot of these clubs that we talk about were founded like over a hundred years ago. Um, and their fan bases have spanned generations and we do have like some, teams that were started a long time ago but like we say america was new still even i would say in the 1800s like was still like a a new thing so um even the early 1900s like teams that were the money just wasn't there or even the 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 culture wasn't wasn't there in that place so they didn't they weren't tied to something these clubs are like tied into where they are it it's in the fabric of their being sort of thing. And I don't think we have that same uh, sort of outlook on sports in America. It's not in the, yeah, like we would say like, yeah, basketball is in the fabric of our beings, but like our teams, are they in the same way? I'm not sure I, I, I'd say that. No, and definitely so to not. Me, and I so mean, to I can me, remember growing up in New York just... and kids making fun of me for being a Knicks fan. And I'm like, yo, we're all New Yorkers. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, <laughs> I don't have any allegiance to them. But they, I like but they suck. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that's true. And but but to me that's part of it. Um and yeah, you, when you look at fandom, it's it's different. Um every fan has has their own journey in fandom, but to me that's that's the one thing that I'm a little jealous of when I think about sports and fandom is we don't have that same like it's not like my entire family are fans of any team I actually follow. Like yeah. that just doesn't happen. I think that there could be uh, a couple reasons for that. Uh, I mean, number one, like you talked about, I think that a lot of these teams have, have a much more deep-rooted community aspect to them. Uh, there were athletic clubs for the community, like from, from the youth all the way up. Um, there's, there's that aspect. I think there is something to be said just for the fact that we have so many major sports and they've kind of rotated which one's the favorite during different time frames. You know, baseball was for the longest time the big thing. The NBA finally started catching fire in like the 70s and 80s, I guess 80s mostly with like Showtime Lakers. Uh, obviously, the NFL has become the American pastime for the past probably 20 years now. I think that kind of thing changes it. Like we already talked about franchises moving and not having the roots in the community the same way that they do over there. Um, I think that those all play a factor into why that maybe that they're fan base is a little bit more um you know they're just they're more invested i guess um it's the one thing i would say earlier you were talking about the salary cap which is something i wanted to bring up and even though this is only tangentially related but i would say that it's too bad that they have somehow exported or imported i should say a lot of the worst parts of american capitalism in sports but they haven't imported like parity and salary cap and like say the draft and different free agency. Um, I mean, I guess free agency is kind of starting to make its thing now, right? Where players are actually letting contracts run down. So things like that would 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 create more parity. Uh, it's to me one of the. I remember a mind blowing thing when I first saw. I mean, I don't know why it was that mind blowing, but that you can just buy another player from another league, right, or another team. 
uh, any other team in any other league in, in the in the world. Whereas in American sports, there's limits on how much money you can pay. You have to give up reciprocal talent, and usually it's going to be. Uh, you know, say the Yankees are trying to get the best pitcher in the league. So they're going to have to give up three or four really high class prospects. And so that's going to build that team. That's probably the poorer team that's accepting that deal. It's going to help them to kind of replenish and keep competing. And so that's one of the ways that we have the Tampa Bay Devil Rays making, or I guess they're just the Rays now, but we have all these teams, you know, going to the world series or NBA championship. There's a lot more parity over here. Whereas, I mean, England's better than most of the leagues. But it's still, I mean, as you can see right now, Liverpool and Man City for however many, what, three, four years now. I guess Chelsea's been in there a little bit. But it's it's the top of the top, and then the, the, the it's the haves and the have-nots, right? And then there's kind of the middle of the table there. It doesn't churn over the same way it can here where the Bengals made the Super Bowl this last year. You know, I mean, you just – I can't even think of the equivalent of that in, in, in European Spurs soccer. But, making yeah. the Champions League final, I would say that's probably – as equivalent to the Bengals making maybe, but aren't Spurs what the like the are are they like the sixth or what? what so I think they're the fourth or fifth richest team in the Premier League. Uh, fifth or sixth, sorry, but they're like top ten in the world. The yeah, Bengals so that, have been one big of the difference. biggest underperformers. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about a thirty-two team league, and the Bengals have been picking first, you know, top three picks for the last five years. I get what you're saying, and and that is improbable, but that's going way against the grain whereas here it's designed to do that you have that happen in a lot of sports a lot of times so sorry go ahead jesse yeah i think like just to, to dog on uh, cincinnati some more um the, there was a red stat that i saw the other day that was just like the reds are one of i think two teams i want to say baltimore was the other one that hasn't been to their respective leagues championship series in the last like 20 years there's only two teams so Again, there's not perfect parallels here because this is playoffs and all that stuff. But at some point, 28 or so of Major League Baseball teams have been in the their league's final four um, over the last 20 years. You count up the last 20 years of Champions League in the in the um, Premier League, it's not going to be you know 28 out of 30 is is over 90 percent, right? I mean, like you look at the at the Premier League, even with with uh, relegation and promotion, I mean, it's going to be I mean, how many teams has it been? Eight that have made the Champions League from um, from the Premier League in the last fifteen or twenty years, I would guess. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Leicester is the only outlier that I can think of winning the title over the last since I've been watching. Everybody else has made sense that they that they won the title. I think Blackburn did way back in the nineties. I feel like I've like a team that you don't even hear about. I think there were, there used to be more parity. I, I mean, again, I guess at least compared to like the money, the man. It's, it the is, money. it's definitely the money. I mean, the money's a big part of it. And that's why, again, like, I feel like salary caps and others financial fair play. There are different things they've tried to do. But I mean, I guess we should just be lucky that we're not, it's not the same as in, in Bundesliga or La Liga, right? Where it's, I mean, Bundesliga, it's like, it's, you know, Munich almost every year. And then Dortmund's in there once in a while. Once in a while, you'll get. Well, um, we're getting there. <laughs> we're yeah, getting there. Yeah, and it does kind of feel like, yeah, it does feel like all of the leagues are going to basically just turn into one of those leagues where like well, this team has a lot of money a, and Premier League's going to be a mini super league though with Newcastle now getting that you know yeah oil infusion it's I mean it's it, it's going to be it's it, we, we're already uh having a punch above our weight just to make final four sorry mm -hmm. uh you know top four no yeah yeah it's, it's right. still NCAA <laughs> season in my mind but um 
No, so it's just going to get more and more difficult. And I think that you can, I feel like you can see the uh, desperation in United's game plan for the last few years as they see these teams coming up above them. At least we've been still on an upward trajectory, moving from mid-table up to solidly top six or something like that. United, since I've been watching, because when I started watching was at the probably the tail end, the last three to five yeah. years of, of the Al end of Ferguson. Ferguson. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, to see how much they've dropped off the table since then and how they just can't find a consistency, it's hard well, not they to have think. a plan. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, I guess I would, I would, you would think that it would be the same for Liverpool, and they that they were in a free fall when I first started watching, and then they got Klopp, and since then it's obviously been quite a different story. I mean, we talk about some of the ways that you know American consumerism and capitalism is is starting to influence European football, but I I think there's also a lot of ways that, um, especially for American soccer fans, the way that some of British experiences and cultures and norms have kind of influenced the way that we watch the game. Um, I mean, one of the things for me that I find the most fun about following Spurs and following Premier League in general is something you alluded to earlier, which is like the songs and the chanting. Like, I think that just makes you feel a little bit more involved in the game. Um, I don't really think of anything like that in American sports. I mean, you chant defense defense but that's you know that's not Our really unique. so lame compared to theirs yeah Our like it's not brainless yeah, yeah. It's, it's not the same as like creating a song for a player when they hit a big three-pointer like you know like and then the whole crowd is singing the song like that i think is a lot of fun uh, the other thing that i really love about watching um British football is all of the British phrases <laughs> that I hear. And like, it just over time, you start to just kind of use Add them to yourself. Your own vernacular. Yeah, yeah, of course. Like, like inform. Like I never said, I never said a football player or a baseball player. It's like was taking a knock. Taking a yeah. knock. Oh yeah. That's a good favorites. one. Yeah. I like pacing. Just, I, I use that as often as we, as we can. Pace. I've had a, a friend of mine that is also a Spurs fan that, that, uh, I talk with them about a lot of games, like it will just inject Pacey to, to wherever. Like if we're just having a few beers, like, Oh, it got some nice pace on your drinking there. <laughs> just like, it's just a fun, that's a fun one. Yeah. No, yeah, I mean, seriously like, in, in like say FIFA or whatever versus uh Madden it, here, it was uh, acceleration and speed and there it's pace. <laughs> and I think acceleration, but yeah, it's literally just a substitution there. It's a, yeah, it's like little phrases, like the soccer to football, the pitch to field, um, even when they'll say certain, th like they'll just have certain phrases that we don't use here. Like, oh, the defense is a shambles right now. Like Mike Breen is not saying that. The, um, the announcers are just much more poetic, I think also. Oh, right? they're, oh, they're way better. They're yeah, way better. Everybody <laughs> there is like hockey's Doc Emmerich, uh, you know, or, or peak or Mike Breen Scully. or whatever. Like they're all that. Where like the outliers are, are the the not necessarily from an, an excited perspective, but like the Gus Johnsons and the Dickie V's and, yeah. and, and Doc Emmerich, those are the ones who are like, wow, what a unique person here. We're like, that's just like everybody there does that. And so I find myself using these phrases when I talk about football that I don't use in any other scenario. But then it's like it's almost like that the export of uh, of British language that it becomes as an American fan, like you associate this phrasing and you associate certain words and 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 turns of phrase with the sport. Um, to the point where, like, even if I'm talking to other Americans, it, 
only if we're talking about football though, <laughs> like if we're talking about any other sport. I don't use those same phrases, but um, yeah, I think that's something that you kind of get in addition to like all the chants and things like that. Like I, I remember um, talking again about the last time I went out there, um, met some guy at the stadium. I was there with my dad. He was there with his dad and we were hitting it off and just talking about the game and, and different players and stuff. And I started talking about this thing and that thing. And he said, well, wait a second, how do you know all this? And I'm like, I, I follow the game. What do you mean? He's like, yeah, but you're all the way in the States. How do you even, how do you know who this player is? How do you know these stats? I'm like, I follow it. I don't know. I have access to the internet. And it, yeah, the funny guess- thing is it's actually easier to watch games here than it is <laughs> in England. Like it's actually kind of hard to watch games over there. I had a very, very similar experience though, just a few years ago. And so let's see, was it five, I guess not just a few, but like five years ago, I was there to the second last home game at White Hart Lane. Um, It was against Bournemouth. And I, after the, uh, after the match was over, we went over to the Bell and Air and ended up talking to American people, English people alike. And I just remember having a very similar situation where there are these guys in their 60s that are just amazed that I know who like Martin Chivers is and I'm like well yeah I guess you listen to podcasts and read articles and you just kind of immerse yourself in the game a little bit you know it's it's uh it's very interesting to take in the whole culture of it not just the surface level oh you know this is the starting 11 and this is what the score was and formation blah 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 but the actual the history of it is I mean I think that we all all of us as kind of sports uh fans probably do that for most teams right like kind of follow their their history where they came from what they've done and it's even more interesting with a team that's this old and this storied and this um has an even more unique place in that part of that city's culture than i think i like kim was saying earlier we don't have that equivalent over here even like say the cubs wrigleyville is great right it used to be really great and it but it still wasn't there are how many teams are there in london 10 12 and each one has a different pocket you know they're very they're hyper specific we don't we just don't have that so i i just think that it's uh it's very interesting like i said to uh to go back in the history and the culture of the team you can you can understand a lot about where the team is and where they've come from and the way that fans would react and the way they would feel in different scenarios by educating yourself in that Oh, um, it's just my, I was, I was going to give my favorite, one of my favorite sayings is done and dusted. It's like something that I never heard used anywhere else. It's a good one. And I've been, I, I've been, um, I've been doing Peloton classes lately. And one of the instructors is from the UK and literally at the end of the ride, she's like, oh, that ride is done and dusted. And I was like, wait, I've literally heard someone say that on a like on a football pitch to say, and for anyone who doesn't know what done and dusted is, who it's basically saying the the game is wrapped up. We would say that, but like, oh, that person, we, they have that game wrapped up and they would say that's done and dusted. One of my girlfriend's favorites is whenever she hears them saying, oh, they've really got their tails up now. As in like, say after a team scores a goal and they're going after another one. And I guess it's supposed to be like cats on hunting or something. I think that's <laughs> where it comes from. Like it's, it's just such a, uh, I don't know. It, it, it somehow makes sense. It just clicks, but it's such a funny turn of phrase. In American Another, football, they say pin your ears back, like a defender's pin oh, your yeah, ears back, yeah, yeah. like dogs when they're running to just, you know, go all that's out. That's a good something. point. So yeah. I guess similar. Another one you hear them use a lot is uh, calling foul cynical. I, I, 
I didn't. I had no idea what that meant the first couple of times. I like, what does he mean cynical? That's not my. That's not what I think of when I think of somebody being a cynic. Um, yeah, I think beyond that, uh, one more thing on on the just. I think that I picked up on the culture a little bit, and I remember I was uh, one of my wife's best friends lives in um, uh, in London, and and uh, she was getting married in Dublin, so we were there, and a bunch of our friends were from London. And I remember um, being at kind of like a random table at the wedding and talking to another guy who was a, a Spurs fan and. Uh, we were, this was in 2016 ish. So like, you know, kind of heights of, of poach ascension era. And I remember just feeling a lot more like inclusive there where sometimes here, you know, there's like that internet joke of like, Oh, you like so-and-so name their first five albums. Um, you know, we're like, Oh, you like the Yankees. Well, how do you, why do you like this team? Or why do you like that team? You don't remember this and that, like really like, I feel like the American thing is like pushing people away from your team when they express some interest. And I know I've heard like soccer Twitter will push people away and stuff like that, but that's not ever been my real life thing um, that, that I've seen, uh, you know, like being at this wedding, I remember like talking to this guy on blah, blah, and just be like, just, we were so excited about Kane. And I was just like, yeah, like, you know, he's like one of our own. Well, I mean, he's not one of our, our own. Like I'm from America. I'm from New York. He's one of your own. He's like, no, mate, he's one of your own as well. Like you're Spurs, he's Spurs, he's one of your own. And that was a really bad British <laughs> accent, but like, that was the thing, not like, get out of here you yank like no he's one of our own i'm from london it was just like yeah you're spurs then he's one of your own too and it was just like wow like i felt so like immediately like an insider like i was inside the club just because of, of that yeah. and I, like where i was trying to give myself the space to be like you know no that's not me uh you know this this is your club and it was like no it's yours now too and it was just really really welcoming and i think that's been across not just like with welcoming fans but um I mean, it just even look at something as simple as like uh, uh, players before games still in the UK are taking a knee to say there's no room for racism in a sport where that that was every league had people that were like, nope, I'm going to stand, um, you know, to, during this or that, like to all these different kinds of things where just no matter what, like uh background sexual orientation race like it feels like soccer fan is a lot more at least the stuff that i've seen obviously there's still some bad things out there but it's been so much more inclusive and welcoming than i see a lot of times in american sports both on uh, and off the field i just thought of the other phrase and it's when there's like a team that's pushing for a goal and they'll say oh they're starting to ask a lot of questions now that's that's a good one. <laughs> that's that's one of my favorites. I like that. Under the cash is good too. <laughs> this yeah, is the Quasar Us podcast. Um, if you're listening for the first time, welcome. If you're listening for the third time, welcome back. You can find us on Twitter at Quasar Us Podcast. We can also be reached via email at Quasar Us Podcast at gmail.com. And we've got another supportive club shout out. Jesse, tell us about it. Yeah, I was just down in um, West Palm Beach last weekend, I think. Um, and uh, I was, I like always want to go wherever I'm traveling. I try to watch the game and I found Palm Beach County Spurs on the Spurs um, Supporter Club website. Uh, shot them a Facebook message. They were like, yep, we're at O'Shea's on Clematis, which was like a 10 minute walk from my uncle's place where I was staying. So it was great. So my uncle, my daughter and, and wife and I went down there. Um, got there a little bit late um, and so didn't get a chance to like get in because my kid was starving so we sat down at a table rather than sat in with the um, um, with the rest of the Spurs crowd but there was a few people poked around but Spurs game was was on all the TVs 
Um, and I said, hey, look, you know, I'm from the Columbus uh, Spurs. Would love to. I'm the one who messaged you. He said, oh, I thought you'd be a woman because my name's Jesse. I get that all the time still. Um, so all good. But I was just like, yeah, you know, this they're like, oh, this is only our second match back kind of post COVID stuff. Oh, wow. This is a new bar for us. Um, and we're really excited. And, and they had just gotten like their swag bag from Spurs. So he's like, take any of this stuff. And I was like, no, I wanted like Palm Beach County specific stuff so I could add it to my Spurs wall of scarves and, and maybe put one up at, a, at our club uh, bar here. Um, but like just they were just super nice. Um, they made it O'Shea's on Clematis in West Palm Beach. Um, and they were like, we're trying to do some big things. They had a guy, I think, who was involved in the board at a different club that just moved there, maybe Brooklyn or Boston or something. Um, but they're really trying to do big things. I told them I'll be back um, uh, probably this fall and, and catch up with them. But Palm Beach County Spurs were super welcoming, super um, nice, engaging. Um, they like dogs in their bar, which if you like dogs like I do, that's a cool thing. Um, but it was right in, right in uh, O'Shea's was right in a, in a hopping place. So newish formed club, but um, they're super excited to, uh, to get bigger. And they had a pretty good crowd for their second one back. I mean, it was a Saturday game. I know not everybody is barely in Florida, but I was just like, we're giving up beach time to be for this, the Spurs game to be indoors. <laughs> but um, they probably had 30 or so people there. And it was pretty loud um, throughout, even though it was, you know, peak of uh, peak of sunshine kind of a day. Shout out to the Palm Beach County Spurs. And uh, we will continue to look for more supporters clubs. If you know of any that deserve a shout out, or at least you think they do, we'll decide ultimately. Um, you can reach out to us on the aforementioned channels. Before we close out, we do have another match, as I said, coming up on Saturday. We did pretty poorly with the predictions last week, guys. We thought we were going to score three, four goals. We didn't score any. So um, <laughs> I don't know if you want to be more measured this time or if you want to continue uh, having liberal predictions. But let's see. Let's see how we do this time. Kim, let's start us off. What, what are we thinking? Brentford away. Right. Brentford away. I'm going to go a 2-1 win at Brentford. So, yes, I'm a bit more measured than my 3-1. Um, but I think they have enough quality to cause us some problems. Um, I'm a, I'm a, I'm hopeful we'll win, so I'm going to say 2-1. But the way that things work sometimes with Spurs, uh, if this was like a draw, I would not be surprised, um, especially as an away game. We tend to play worse away, but um, we've we've sort of like made it, made it a little easier away on ourselves. Um so I, I think we can win this game and I think we should win this game. Um, so I'll go two one. Yeah. I think I'm also going to be a little bit more reserved. I, I was a little chastened after my four one call last week. Um, you had reason. I, you had reason. That's what, that's yeah, what they were giving. I know. I, I'm, I, I agree with Kimmy though. I'm going to go two one. I, I can see an Erickson free kick <laughs> and then maybe uh, let's get Kulu and Sonny involved. Maybe Kane on both assists. Free kick. Uh, what's that? Yeah. <laughs> Haven't seen one of those since Erickson left. That's what he'll, he's going to score for uh, Brentford. <laughs> yeah. Jesse, I'm also going 2-1. I think 2-1 they're going to play Man, a little so bit boring, open. so boring, aren't we? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm just looking it's at not it. not more boring than Saturday's match. That's for They've sure. been hot, though. They've been hot, which is concerning. <laughs> they've won, I think, six of seven. I don't think they've lost when Erickson started. Um, I think they're 4-0 in his starts. But, uh, you know, they give up a little bit more goals. They, they score a few more goals. Um, than uh, than Brighton, they've scored 12 more and, and given up 12 more to this point in the season in Brighton. So I think that they're, you know, not going to 
to I think they'll they'll take the game to us a little bit, and so I think that you know we'll we'll open up uh, their potentially questionable defense up for uh, our uh, front three to to uh, to put some things together. So two one, um, I'm honestly thinking they're going to score first, and then we're all going to be very nervous in the chat. Um, and then I think we uh, we score the equalizer and and uh, and and then win the game in the second half. Well, uh, you guys are probably going to hate me, but um, I you know I. I'm a little nervous about the away. I think Brentford's a team that gets up for it. They don't, they don't get nervous. They don't get scared of bigger competition. Um, I also wonder about mindset after uh, being held goldless and, and, and then having to play on the road. I also do think that we are going to leak a goal. So I actually think it's going to be a 1-1 draw. We haven't scored. A, we haven't had a lot of draws this year. Just looking at our record. 18, three and 11. So only three draws on the season. Um, but something is telling me that we're not going to just waltz into top four um, with six matches left Spurs. If nothing else, are going to make things a little bit interesting. Um, and I can absolutely see Saturday being a bit of a trap game. We draw and then there's super pressure on us to beat Leicester at home the following weekend. So hopefully you guys are right and I'm wrong. Um, but, you know, I, I guess I, I end up typically being the most cynical <laughs> as a callback <laughs> of the of the four of us. So we'll see how that goes. I guess that's it. Come on, you Spurs. Hopefully Come I'm wrong Spurs. and um, we'll, we'll we'll see how things go this weekend. Cheers. All right. Cheers. Oh, how could I forget? Cheers. Cheers, mate. That's my favorite. That's actually my favorite. I I, I was going to close the podcast, but I can't end without saying this first. When I went to England and everybody was saying that every time, oh, cheers, mate. Cheers, man. I was like, this is amazing. I felt I felt so felt so welcomed everywhere I went. Even the the waitress is telling me cheers, mate. Like, all right. So then I came back to the States and I just couldn't stop saying it. Drive my sister crazy. Every time I go out, I say it. And then, you know, it's just here you get it. Here you get it. Thanks, man. Yeah. <laughs> no worries, bro. No worries. Yeah. Thanks, dude. <laughs> All right. Cheers, mates. All right. Cheers. Thanks, man. Cheers. <laughs>